I was telling them earlier, if I doesn't work, I'll use the handheld mic because it seems like all the preachers on TV preach with this and they kind of walk, you know, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. If I start doing that, somebody hit me. So, uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, um, no, uh, question here. And, uh, I'm a, I'm not a car guy and my biggest, one of my problems in life, I'm not a car guy, but the question I'll ask you, if you have a car, have you looked under the hood lately? This is actually the, under the hood of my 2000 Volkswagen Passat. 180,000 miles. And I, I open the hood up, and to me, my first thought is, looks good to me, right? How many of you, how many have that same response? Well, it looks good to me. You open up your hood, something must be wrong. looks good to me. I mean, there's a little dust here and there and things like that. But, it looked, you know, but now, if I look, have you looked under your car lately, all right? This is from my driveway this morning under that car. And this car was actually parked in Brian Arnold's driveway yesterday, so I'm guessing he might have some of those spots. And no, it's not your fault or your wife's fault, all right? But you look under the car, and this has only been in the last week. It's a mess, and that's not water. I've, I've got, I get on the ground, and I can feel it's kind of greasy, oily. It's either oil or transmission fluid. And no, I'm not asking for help. I need to get it fixed. I mean, I, but the thing is, uh, that tells me that when I open the hood, something isn't going well because there's something else that tells me that i can look at the hood yeah i've already done i've examined everything all these hoses look good looks good this fluid looks good i look under the car and it's a mess and you might even say i have some of that granule stuff that's supposed to soak up oil i mean because that's how i my my way of solving car problems if if you just ignore it sooner or later it will go away and in this case the oil will go away and then the car will have problems right (laughs) now here's the next question are you willing to take a look? Because I think a lot of us, myself included, we're willing to open up the hood of our hearts and kind of, you know, God, tell me what, help me understand, help me see. This is part of what we've been talking about from the churches of Revelation. But sometimes there's also, are you willing to look kind of underneath kind of the car of your heart and see what else is happening that might tell you something in your heart that you have either missed or you're just, frankly, ignorant of? Are you willing to take a look? Not just open the hood, but are you willing to even look for other evidences of something else is wrong? All right. What we've been doing, go to the next one here. Uh, the last number of weeks, I mean, I just, we just finished last week with the first couple chapters of Revelation. And the first chapters two and three are John. John was one of the friends of Jesus. This is 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus. John's still alive. John has this vision from, the, from Jesus and John's at Patmos. It's an island out in the, off the coast of modern-day Turkey. He's in a, kind of in a prison kind of island. He's writing to these churches, these seven churches, things Jesus wanted to say to them. And it's not only words of affirmation, but it's words of correction where Jesus actually says, but I have this complaint against you. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, you look under the hood and everything looks good, but I can see under the car and there's problems. And the whole, Jesus isn't just, he's not just blasting them. He's, like I said in my prayer earlier, he is, his objective is freedom and joy. His objective is that the engine run well and the car last long. His objective is your heart be totally unhindered and free and full of joy. So this is what's been happening in the book of Revelation. Last week we finished with the, the church of Laodicea, which really had nothing, Jesus had really nothing good to say about it. He actually said, you know, sometimes you make me sick. You know, Jesus would say that. And then 
he actually said, you don't, you're not even, you don't even get it. You don't see, you're blind. So I'll go to the next slide. So one of the things I, we talked about last week, and I won't, this is something called the Johari window. It's not a biblical thing, but it has biblical concepts in it. But it was like some, some academic guys, literally named Joe and Harry, Joe Harry, designed this. And we talked about, you know, if you, if you break this up about your heart, there are parts of your heart that are known to others and known to you. That's the part people see and experience in conversation and relationship. There's parts of you that are known to yourself, the hidden part, but not known to others. Kind of the things you know that's true about you that you really work hard not to let other people see those things. Sometimes there are hidden flaws, hidden sins, hidden thoughts, things that you don't think for some reason it's safe to let out out in the open. And so we learn how to put on a real good image because we're not sure if the hidden part of us would be accepted or loved. Either it's a known sin or it's part of us we're not sure if people would love us if they knew that about us. So it may be part of our story that we don't know that people know because we're not sure what they'll think with that. Then there's the blind part of us that's not known to us, but it's known to other people. If you were to ask people that know you well, if they could be fully honest without fear of your reaction, they might say, well, here's how I experience you. And, you know, you've probably had friends that have said it. If, you, if they're trusted spiritual friends, they'll say things like that. Do you help you grow? And then there's parts of our hearts that are not known to you and not even known to others. The unknown part, truly unknown only to God. So the fact is we're, we're, we're complicated but really simple beings in terms of our spiritual selves. There's a lot of us we know about ourselves and other people know about. There's a lot that's just twisted in some ways. And last week, go to the next slide, last week, the prayer I challenge you to pray, kind of out of the sense of the churches and Jesus wanting to show them things, is the, is the prayer, Jesus, reveal myself to me. Help me see, Jesus, where I'm playing this hypocrite game of hiddenness, where there's things about me others know that I just need to listen to. And Jesus, help me see things that I don't even know about me and nobody else knows about me, but you know about me. And how do you go there? How do you find those things? I mean, you just kind of ask Jesus and he, he does a, 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 you know, a download into your mental computer and gives you a list of everything. Here's all the things. You know, does he fill in the quadrants for you? The passage, you've heard me mention this before, but the passage from 139, which I wanted to frame what we're talking about this morning. It's uh, a prayer of David. And this is just a, this is the last two verses of the psalm. I'm going to encourage you to read the whole psalm sometime because David's, it's David kind of being amazed that God knows everything about him. He knows his morning, his evening, when I get up, when I sit down. He said, you walk before me, you walk behind me 24-7. But at the end of the psalm, he says this, and this is his prayer. And this, is, this, I think, is one of the most powerful and then one of the most fearful prayers we can pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Actually, read this with me out loud. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's an invitation, and I have over here this kind of, you know, light bulb with a stool, kind of what you might see in one of these police kind of examination things. But that's not, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't badger us that way. But what does it mean to invite Jesus? Say, will you search me, O God, and know my heart? God, you know things about me, anxious thoughts, those unsettling things inside that sometimes you don't even listen to because your life is going so fast, so you've kind of learned how to kind of buzz right over those things. 
See if there's any offensive way in me. Some, pastors, some people translate that word wicked way, but it's anything in, there, in me, God, that you see that, that hurts you and in doing so is hurtful to others. And lead me in the way everlasting. And, and the question I want to kind of look at today is, how do you know when God's doing that? How do you know? And I'm going to give you a couple stories from my own life of times where God did that to me. And some of you may have heard these before, but I think it's good to repeat because it's just good to kind of ask yourself, how do you know that? How do you know when God's saying those things? I made the mistake about 30 years ago of memorizing one, Psalm 139. I say a mistake because God frequently uses it against me, right? I'm glad I memorized it. But one time in particular, I was, and this was, this was years ago, but it's etched in my mind like it was yesterday because it was one of the first times where I felt like God was kind of exposing me. My wife and I were arguing about who was going to be the DJ at our wedding reception. She wanted a guy named Mark. I didn't like Mark. But the real issue was I didn't like the fact that I thought she was making all the decisions in the reception. And I was just kind of along for the ride, I guess. Right, And we're having this argument in her parents' living room. And I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of being a jerk. And I'm just arguing for the sake of arguing. All right. Any spouses here acknowledge you ever do that? Ever. Ever. Okay. I see that hand. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting in this chair and I'm just, I'm resolved that she will not get her way on this one. But I'm super kind about it. So I thought, and I'm sitting there and, and she finally gets so frustrated because I was excellent at maneuvering the conversation to frustrate her. And she finally says, well, fine. She flips the lights off in the room we're sitting in and she goes up to the bedroom where she was going to be sleeping in that night. And I'm sitting in the chair. I'll borrow the chair. And I actually felt quite good and quite smug because I thought, Really, I thought, I remember thinking to myself, it's too bad she got so angry. That must mean I was right because she blew her temper before I did. And how many of you have played that game, right? Okay. And I'm sitting there just kind of exhaling. I'm kind of lounging. I usually sit like this in chairs because I have bad posture. But I'm sitting there and just kind of really feeling smug. And out of nowhere, I hear... Search me, O oh God, know my heart. And I don't hear it verbally. I mean, in, in the sense, I, what I tell people is like, it's kind of like, you know, something. And you know what I'm talking about? It's an impression. All of a sudden, it's just like, and I, I, in my case, I felt like it was a weight on me, kind of like, and I was like, God, if you go out the hallway and upstairs, Kathy's up in her room. You may need to go up there for, I mean, I really, this was, the, this was the, the mental conversation. And you might say, well, how did you know it was God? Well, it's one of those things that over time you just, you just start testing and you realize, okay, it wasn't, an, it wasn't a condemning voice. It was an invitation to be searched. And I was like, well, I, I know I was okay on this one. I know I'm okay. I know I was okay on this. And I felt like God would say, no, but will you at least let me flick the spotlight on and look? And, I'm, and I felt like I was doing this, like I was pushing, no, no, no. I don't want that on me. Go upstairs, God. And then I finally, and I, re- I remember literally sitting on this, I finally said, Okay, and I literally put my arms down like this. Okay. And I felt like God said to me rather quickly, you were the jerk in that conversation. And after I got appalled that God would use such a word, I realized, you know, he's right. And it was one of those times where I thought, and I went up and told 
Kathy, I was sorry that I was the jerk in the conversation and other things like that. But it's one of those times where, and you, some of you have had, many of you have had this experience, and if you think God never speaks to you, he, he does. You don't have to be super spiritual, saintly, or even have an ounce of education. God will speak to you, and it's usually an impression, a thought, something that I, what I say to people is it's like, on the, it's like God puts something on an Etch-A-Sketch, and you keep shaking it, and it won't go away. Because you don't want to think about maybe God's trying to get my attention. So there's times like that where it happens. God may use, and in that case, I wasn't necessarily in a deep spiritual moment of praying. I wasn't on my, and, and often God will surprise you in the middle of the day with exposing something you, that you didn't want to hear at that moment, but you desperately want to hear it. You really know you need it. And I could point to other situations where I was fighting God on those things and then, like I said, the kind of the, it was like, oh, I think I'm feeling something from God. And, and you kind of learn to discern and figure out, how do you know if God's asking you doing those things, if he's telling you things? How do you know that? And so what, I, what I've put together here, and I've used some of these questions before too, but I added some new ones kind of through the churches of, uh, of, Revel, of Revelation here. And I'm, I've put on here some questions that I think are can be good assessment questions for you to try to figure out where the oil is underneath the car, so to speak. And then you can kind of work backwards and figure out what God wants to do, all right? I think I have six or seven questions. All right, first question is this. To what degree do the words alive, awake, and free describe your day-to-day experience? This is not God trying to uncover like sin. What I'm saying is if Jesus said that's what he wants us to be, full of life, full of abundant life, if those words don't describe you, I'm not saying every moment of every day you're like some joy bubble. But in general, would you say your life, you, you live an alive, awake, and free toward the spirit of Jesus? Or is it kind of heavy, guilty, and self-condemning? Is there more of that? than If, if the answer to that question alone gives you some sense of, okay, there's, I think there's some oil on the ground. Now, how do I figure out what's going on? And here's some questions from here. All right, next question. And then, yeah, do you believe that Jesus really desperately wants this for you? That's maybe the biggest question for some of us. Some of us think Christianity is Jesus wants to come and uh, get us in line and make us behave. But the reality is, even through the harshness of the book of Revelation and the churches, Jesus really wants freedom for people and joy. All right? Now, here's the next question. How aware of you are you? How aware of you? How aware are you of your own spiritual pride? And notice I phrased the question for me and for you, not do you struggle with spiritual pride, but how, are, how aware are you of the spiritual pride that is in you? Because we all have it. And it's all something God's working on. And if you're not aware of it yourself, ask your spouse, ask your good friends, and give them freedom to tell you, and they will. But be honest about that. I remember, I remember when I was in college, I used to think, it seems like whenever we read the gospel stories, we always align ourselves with the disciples and the people who believed. And we always think, well, the Pharisees, they were the knuckleheads. And then somebody challenged me. They said, have you ever thought about maybe that sometimes we can be the Pharisee? And I thought, oh, it's interesting. It was like, okay, maybe we can be. Of course we can be that way. You read the stories about the Pharisees, and if you never see yourself on the other side of the coin, then read them again. And see, what, see my, where God might say, no, that's, sometimes that's you who are condemning Jesus. And it's you who are condemning sinners. All right? Next question. 
Are you resisting the correction of Jesus in any area of your life? Is there something you're doing that you have a sense that God may be wanting to correct you on? Could be a, could be a, uh, a blatant kind of sin that scripture talks about. It might be something really small and it may not even be a sin except that Jesus is telling you to stop doing it. All right, is there something in your life that you sense Jesus may be pushing on you and you're giving Jesus the kind of the straight arm? Next question. To what degree does the fear of the opinions of others influence your actions? One of the issues in the, in the churches of Revelation was they were putting up with people who were doing things that were incorrect or false or in sin because they were afraid of the opinions of other people if they would actually disagree with somebody. Fear of the opinions of others is a pretty powerful thing. And there may be times where you may not say or do things or say things to people that you feel like God may want you to say because you're afraid of their reaction. All right, next one. Are any of your friendships leading you away from Jesus? And again, if you threw this question to Jesus and ask him, hey, is, because that's what was happening in some of the churches of Revelation. They were allowing relationships, social relationships, to be primary behind following Jesus and those social relationships, friendships, dating relationships, whatever, were getting in the way of people's friendship with Jesus. All right, next one. This is somewhat related to the corrective thing, but is there something Jesus is asking you to stop doing for the sake of another? So this may not be a clear sin issue of Scripture, but maybe there's something that you do that you like doing, but someone else, for the sake of the well-being of others, it may be good for you to stop doing that. I'm thinking of some of your marriages. Maybe some of you have certain hobbies that maybe aren't sinful things or certain patterns of behavior that aren't sinful things or you like to watch certain TV shows that aren't sinful things. But your sense is God maybe asks you to stop doing those things because somehow that will benefit your spouse or your roommate or your parents or your friends, benefiting the well-being of others and denying your right to yourself. Is there something like that that you have been pushing back on God or that God's been trying to get your attention on or that you might be hearing from God in the next few days about? Are you open that if God's asked you to do that? Next one. Do you have a secret sin? Is there something that you know about yourself that your friends don't know, your spouse don't know, your parents don't know? And for some reason, we fool ourselves to thinking maybe God doesn't know. But he does, of course. And I've lived that kind of life before in the early part of my 20s. I've told people I've struggled with pornography. I lived that kind of life. It is anything but alive, awake, and free when you hide. So anyone, for any of, any of you here that are hiding and nursing secret sins, because really what the secret sin usually is, but... I, I find life there. I find something there that I need. And what we're really saying is because, God, you're not giving it to me otherwise. It's really a lack of faith. And again, I've been there and done that. It's basically telling God, you're not doing all your part in this alive, awake, and free thing. So I've got to figure out where to get some kind of a life, what I think is alive, awake, and free, although it's, it's a, a perverted form of it. I need something. And I... 
I have no doubt there's people here this morning that there's things that you're afraid to tell somebody. One, because you're not sure you want to give it up, but two, you're not sure if you tell somebody how they will respond because your biggest fear, understandably, is judgment and condemnation. Find someone you trust, some from the spiritually that will, and I guarantee there are many people here that will not respond that way. They will respond with grace and mercy and courage for you if you can honestly tell them this is what I struggle with. There are a lot of people here that will respond to you in grace and mercy and forgiveness and courage if you tell them. I know that. All right? Next one. Are you willing to invite Jesus to challenge the relationship between your heart and your money? Are you willing to slide your checkbook and your credit cards across the table to Jesus and say, what do you think, Jesus? What do you think? What do you think about this pattern of spending I have on these things? What do you think about the debt that I have? What do you think about the aspirations I have financially? What do you think, Jesus, about these things? Are you willing to ask Jesus those things? Are you willing to listen? For the little bell to ring when Jesus is like, yeah, 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 now that you asked me that question, I do have something to say. And then uh, what we tend to do, what I'm really good at is, no, 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 Jesus, I need to get to the next question. You had enough time for that one, I'm going to the next one. But being able to sit and listen... And that doesn't mean you have to go sit in a cave in the desert. And, but there's times where you just sit and listen. And it may hit you while you're driving your car through campus or around town and something you've been wondering about. And God may ring the bell and like, can I have your attention right now? Don't, don't limit when God can speak to you. Bring it all back to the beginning. You know, Jesus revealed myself to me. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, let me explain that last phrase, the way everlasting. That does not mean, see if there be any offensive way in me, Jesus, and please make sure I get to heaven after I die. That's not what the psalmist, that's not what David meant by that. The way everlasting in the Jewish mindset and even eternal life in the biblical mindset does not simply mean heaven after I die. What it means is, Lead me in living a life that is large today, an eternal kind of life, a life that's full of joy and strength and power and goodness and forgiveness and mercy and adventure. I want to live that kind of life. And so when you ask Jesus to search you or God to search you, it's not because he wants to pummel you. It's because... He wants to lead you into the kind of life that you've always wanted. Full of joy, peace, mercy, kindness, goodness, strength. All those things. So whether the phrase reveal myself to me is what comes in your head, I'm going to encourage you to read Psalm 139. I'm going to to ask everybody here to commit to reading that through at least once this week. Just read through the psalm. And allow the Spirit of God at least to get a link there somehow. So if he ever wants to use that phrase, search me, O God, and know my heart. If he ever wants to use that phrase and weigh it on you for your freedom, that you'll be recognize that when it happens. I'm going to pray. And then, Jesus, 
It's like we said earlier, I, we believe the spirit of God is real. And we believe that Jesus, your spirit is in this very place. And for those of us who call yourselves Lord, call you our Lord, and we are committed to following you, we believe your spirit is inside of us. And so he has incredible access to our ears and incredible access to see our hearts. Jesus, we, we desperately, desperately want to be free. We desperately want to be the kind of people you want us to be. And so would you uh, open our ears, open our eyes, um, and open our thoughts to hear you. Uh, I want you to stay seated and stay with your eyes closed. And I'm going to ask Jason Lanham and Brian Arnold to come up here. Jason and Brian are two of the members of our elder team. Uh, Dan Hendricks and myself are the other two. And I'm, I, I, I told them last night, I just felt like I wanted to ask them to each pray uh, kind of a prayer of blessing over us in the spirit of what we've been talking about. So I don't know which one's going to go first, but I'm, I'm going to also ask you to do this. And uh, Open your eyes for a second. I'm going to ask these guys. I didn't tell them this. If I, if I would have told them this, they may have told me they didn't want to do it. I'm going to ask. They, no, they will. I'm going to hold the microphone for them. I want you to pray. So you guys can close your eyes, so that way they won't feel so self-conscious about doing that. But uh, I'm going to ask Brian to pray first, and I'll just hold the mic for you. Put your hands okay. up, kind of bless the congregation. Lord, we just uh, we praise your name. Uh, we're just so grateful for the way that uh, you love us. You seek us out as individuals. You, you recognize our strengths and weaknesses. And as Matt said, you want to give us freedom. So today I just pray that uh, you bless each and every person here. And uh, remind us of how great you are, uh, how much you love us, and how deep your desire is uh, to give us the kind of life that uh, Matt spoke about today. God, I am excited and energized about what's happening in this body of people. And whenever we see people walk through the doors in this place on Sunday and we see them come together and we hear stories that a church the size of a couple hundred people um, is coming together and making a difference for the least of those, God, Uh, whether it's people who are suffering from disease, um, like uh, the the stories with Dawn and and the the patients with AIDS, God, whether it's homeless children in Bloomington, and that this church, this small church, has raised thousands of dollars um, and, and given it away freely, to um, in the hopes that people will know and, and see a small glimmer of your grace. Those things get me really excited, God. And God, we know whenever we start to see those things and, and see you moving and see you working and people start to see you through the church that Satan prowls and uh, he, he looks to show up and looks to devour. And I pray protection over all of these people here this morning over us as a church, um, for myself, for my heart, and for each of the hearts of the people here. And God, we're all broken, and we all have blind spots, we all have sore spots, and we all have places where we need to stretch and mature. And so God, I I pray that this week you'll just lay one small thing on each and every person's heart. Um, and, And God, that you would challenge them to grow. 
And I pray that as we enter this week and as we enter this season of Thanksgiving, we remember the giver, God. And we remember how you freely gave to us. You gave to us your son and the price that was so high. And God, help us to remember that no matter how small or how little the things that we have uh, in this world, uh, it's, it's actually so much greater than the rest of the world, God. And we're grateful for that. We pray uh, abundant blessing on this community and pray, God, that uh, Exodus will take a, a position of humility and sacrifice in the community. And God, as we measure things by what we give away, not what we get, we pray that you will find us as faithful stewards and faithful servants in this community. It's in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, we